I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Rosie? Rosie? Come here. No. I'm not going to come here. I'm gambling in the field so you can stick that up your ass. Hey, how you doing, podcats? Adam Buxton here. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. Uh, it's a beautiful day. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful... That's one of the beautiful day songs you can sing. Uh, you can also sing... The sun has got his hat on, hip, 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 hooray. The sun has got his hat on and it's coming out to play. Then there was just a long period where no Beautiful Day songs were written until you 2s Beautiful Day! It's a beautiful day! I mean, of course there are others, but those are the ones that pop into my mind. Beautiful day! I mean, it's hardly... Oh, what a beautiful morning! Is it? That's not to impugn the genius of you 2 in general. Just to say that there's a gap in the market for another tuneful, beautiful day song. Lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, a lovely day. That's a good one, isn't it? I mean, there are lots of them, but... There's always room for more. That's what I'm saying. Listen, how are you doing, listeners? Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, downloading. It's podcast number 30. That doesn't seem very many, does it? Seeing as the podcast has now been plopping out irregularly for about a year or so. But uh, to me, it seems like a lot. And this episode of the podcast features a rambly conversation with British actor... Writer, poet, singer-songwriter, etc., etc. Michaela Cole, currently aged 28. Michaela grew up in East London and read English at university before attending the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, where she graduated in 2012. She wrote her first play, Chewing Gum Dreams, that same year. And it ended up being produced at several major theatres, picking up a few awards along the way, before ending up at the National Theatre's Shed venue in 2014. By that time, Michaela had appeared in two other productions at the National and went on to appear in a fourth, Medea, at the Olivier. Her play, Chewing Gum Dreams, was a 45-minute semi-autobiographical monologue based in part on Michaela's childhood in Tower Hamlets. Her character, Tracy Gordon, talked in a frank and funny way about boys' friendship, school and sex. So Chewing Gum Dreams was, of course, turned into a very funny sitcom by Channel 4. And the first series of that aired last year, 2015, in October, I think, on E4. And earlier this year... Michaela picked up the Best Female Comedy Performance BAFTA for her performance in Chewing Gum. Previous winners of that award include Jessica Hines, Catherine Parkinson, Olivia Coleman, Joe Brand, Jennifer Saunders. So they don't give it to morons. They have their own awards. They're called the Oscars. I'm joking. Now, doing this podcast was the first time that I've met Michaela, um, which I was keen to do, having been impressed like so many people by chewing gum. And we talked in an office of the London production company that makes that show about the business of writing chewing gum all on her own, her first TV show, and she wrote it on her own. It seems extraordinary to me. Uh, We also talked about how Michaela found God and then mislaid God. And there's 
a very detailed description of a trip to a sex club. But I began by asking Michaela what she had been doing that morning. It was the early afternoon by the time we spoke. And that's a brilliant interviewing trick, by the way. You say, so what have you been doing today? And then they start to tell you. And then you suddenly have a conversation on your hands. And that's what happened uh, with us. It's clever stuff, isn't it? I think I invented that. Um, But it didn't take long before Michaela's responses to that question became not only fruity, but uh, also spicy. Basically, what I'm saying is if you're not in the mood for a large helping of coarse language and a side order of quite detailed descriptions of sex and bodily functions, perhaps now would be a good time to enjoy one of the many other podcasts in the giant podcast bin. But if you're happy with all that, here we go. with Jonathan Harden in the morning uh, and then I've got one with you now and then I'm meeting a production company after this to talk about a potential next project then I'm back in the edit here till around 8 or 9pm and you're editing Chewing Gum Series 2 right yeah and that's six parts again is it yes once again written and starring yourself written by yeah yeah do you write with anyone else on that show no really no my god Lonely train, lonely train, (laughs) yeah. So how do you find that, though? I mean, you've been writing for a long time. When did you start writing? What, TV? I mean, just in general. Oh, in general, I started writing in 2007. I was a poet, so I was writing, like, a, you know, page-long poems. Then I wrote uh, my first kind of long thing, which was a one-woman show in 2012. Yeah. And then... And that was Chewing Gum Dreams? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got the commission to do the TV show in 2014. Right. I haven't written that much, actually. But the, 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 the live version, Chewing Gum Dreams, am I right in thinking that was more of a monologue? Yeah, complete monologue. One, yeah. Just one person. I played, like, maybe ten different characters. Um, and it's quite... It's not really a comedy. It's kind of dark. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how funny. long was that? Was it was that an hour or something? Fifty minutes. Yeah. I said it really slightly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then how did you make the transition then from doing that to actually writing sort of structured yeah. narrative episodes with all kinds of different characters? I mean that's a big leap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean that was really hard. Uh a woman called Kelly McGulpin read my play and she thought, uh, do you want to try and develop it into TV? And we got, uh, I wrote like a 20-minute taster, which is not an episode of TV. It's just like a welcome to this world. And uh, that was what got me the blaps. That was also quite easy because it's just two five-minute scenes. And then Phil Clark, who's the head of comedy, said, do you want to write a TV show? And I, by then, was like, yeah. And then he said, do you want to write by yourself? And I went... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was 41 drafts of the first episode. Oh, wow. It was really hard. Yeah. I spent a lot of that time just crying on the floor. Because it's, re- it's like you're in the dark and you're trying to aim where they want you to aim, but you've got, I've got no idea how to do it. It was really, really, really hard. And so you were going back and forth with the commissioners at Channel 4 with their, yeah. and, and they were giving you notes? Well, they? yeah, no, from them, but also from Retort, who produced the show. Ah, okay. So they'd go through my execs and through the channel. Uh, and, and then I, I, did, I did do all six, but they were messy. Well, they weren't messy. They were, the, there wasn't a clear, familiar comedy structure to the episodes. 
and I couldn't get it, didn't understand, because basically all my plots from episode one finished in episode six. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like a movie. Right, like and a I didn't understand. Yeah, I didn't even write commercial breaks. I didn't understand anything. Yeah. So then they brought on a guy called Andrew Ellard, who's a script editor. Sure, I know Andrew, yeah. Yes, and he, I see him as like a... Uh, like a, a master of structure. <laughs> um, he kind of... He's like a puzzle. And he basically was like, look, so you've got basically all these storylines that start in episode one and finish in episode six. What we're going to do is take that long storyline and we're going to squash that and make it one episode. Then take that one there and make that one episode by itself. And uh, it was like a puzzle. And it was easy because the storylines were already there. They were just... Uh, existing all at the same time, going through all the episodes. So we just picked them up and made it all about this one storyline. Uh-huh. And uh, since then, I've learnt... Right. And where are you getting a lot of these ideas from? Are they things that you remember from your own childhood or are they stories that have been told to you since then? Or Neither. Uh, I think uh, either something has happened to me or I have done something that... Is is would, would probably do quite well in a comedy because I go through a lot of embarrassing things. I don't know why these things happen to me, but they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I think, oh, what if Tracy's cousin fancies her? I don't know why, where those thoughts come from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a troubling place, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it doesn't feel like one. It just feels like I'm just. Yeah. My mind's a little bit weird. Give me an example then of the kind of uh, embarrassment that befalls you on a regular basis. Okay, I've got many. So uh, I can. The, the morning after pill. There's an episode in the first series where she goes to try and get the pill from the pharmacist. That is completely based on a real life situation. I didn't have sex, but like we, like, dry-humped a bit yeah. without clothes on. And I was really thought I, was, I could get pregnant. How old were you? Um, how old was I when I did that? How old was I? <laughs> I must have been a virgin. Right. So I would have been 15. OK. Yeah, I would have been 15, which I can't believe I would have gone there that young. I would have gone to the pharmacist. Cos I was really, you know, I was late, late to put a phone. Um... And I explained to them what happened. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get the pill. No. (laughs) Um, um, Also, very recently, I was flat hunting um, after I broke up with my boyfriend and had to move out. And I was in Hampstead Heath looking for a flat to go and have an interview. And I needed to go to the toilet. And long story short, I ended up wetting myself uh, outside somebody's front door... This is like two o'clock on a sunny afternoon. Yeah. And of course they came home as I was wetting myself in front of their door. Mate. Things like that happened to me. And there, there was no room, there was no toilet place, there was no pub. It was like a, r- a row of houses. I tried two houses saying, can I pee? They wouldn't let me come in and pee. So what else do you do? What else can you do but wet yourself? What about a receptacle of some kind? A receptacle? What's that? Like a bottle or a cup. But or what if you don't have a bottle or a cup? And there's a, no shops. There's not a bin or anything. You there's know? no bin. It's like a row of unless I pee in someone's bin. You know the little bins that they have got yeah. outside there. And how am I gonna? How am I gonna go no, and sit in the bin? You don't. No, I don't, I'm not suggesting you should sit in the bin. Okay. But if it was me, like in my stressful peepee times, yeah, it's always been that that I found a plastic bottle or a cup or something. I've yeah, but never also though, but also though, myself. no, but Adam, listen to me. <laughs> when you have a vagina, yeah. I know this it's is really to different. Okay, I can pee into a bottle yeah, um, yeah, yeah. with with my with my vagina. Sure. But also at two o'clock in the afternoon, can I discreetly piss into a bottle? I'm not saying it's ideal. So did you calculate in your mind, I'm gonna have to piss myself? <laughs> yeah. And you thought, well, it's a sunny day, I can dry quickly. No, I mean no <laughs> and actually the thing is, right, I didn't I didn't here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. Yeah. I didn't have any knickers on. Oh. And I had a dress on. Right. So all I had to do was part my legs okay. and pee. pee so when shoot. I say that the woman came home, the woman came home and visibly saw me pissing on her doorstep. Oh, right. Yeah. This actually happened last year. Last year. Yeah. What did she say? She said, um, have you just come here to piss yourself? <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry, I was desperate. And she gave me a look. Could you not even go in the bushes? There was no bushes. Honestly, there was no bushes. It, it, it was literally like, what the f- 
fuck am I going to do? There was, there was nowhere. I was looking for anything discreet. Yeah. I don't want to piss myself in public. I want to hide. I couldn't find anywhere to hide. And I just thought if I just stand at this door and just press these buttons, it would look like I'm trying to get in this place and I'm just going to pee. And meanwhile... And she happened yeah. to come home. Ah. Fucking hell. I'm sorry. Yeah. Two days ago, uh, I was on my period and uh, got blood all over my ass in Shoreditch House. Uh-huh. Because that's the kind of thing I do. A they, lady just came and told me, I'm so sorry. In Shoreditch House, that's part of the course. Is it fine. really, though? It's, it's probably people staring at, oh, wow, Michaela's... Uh, so radical. She's got a period there, and she's just bled right onto her clothes. That's cool. That's She's such a feminist. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe I'm going to do that. Oh, maybe I was free-bleeding. Free-bleeding? Yeah, that's what they call it, free-bleeding, where you don't wear a pad or a tampon. Oh, I've never heard You that. just fucking deal with it. Yeah, I've got yeah. a period. I'm a woman. What do you want? Bleed in your face. Yeah, it was a big thing before the tampon tax got scrapped. Right. Yeah, So, but it has been scrapped now, which is amazing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, but I still can't get it right. Tampon tax is gone. I'm still bleeding through my pants. Still free bleeding and weeing on people's doorsteps. Yeah, fucking hell, man. That's good. Mm. Right, let's go again. What don't you fucking understand? Kick your fucking ass! Let's go again! What the fuck is it with you? I want you off the fucking set, you prick! No! You're a nice guy! What the, the fuck are you doing? No! Don't shut me up! No! No! Ah, uh, da-da-da-da like this! No! No! Don't shut me up! Ah, uh, da-da-da-da like this! Fuck's sake, man, you're amateur! Seriously, man, you and me, we're fucking done professionally. I suppose the things that intrigue people on a regular basis about you, which it would be interesting to talk about briefly, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. are... The fact that you grew up quite religious, or at least you found religion at a certain yes. point in your teens. Yes. I'm curious to know, as someone who's not very religious, yeah. um, how that happened. And your parents are Ghanaian, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what's, uh, how would you characterise a typical Ghanaian? Is, is religion important for the average? Oh, well, I don't know about the average. I have a feeling my mum wasn't the average because, A, she would, when we were younger, she'd make us go to a Catholic church, but she never came with us. And on New Year's and Christmas, she'd pray quite loudly in quite, like, an evangelical way. I have this memory of her, like, chucking salt over her shoulder, which clearly isn't Catholic. So, but but religion wasn't really a thing. We had to make our holy communion, but my mum wasn't Catholic. Uh I think she's probably just... um, scared of what London was and sent us to places like that because she saw it as safe. Um, I was 17 uh, and, the you know, I went to quite a, a, a hilarious but shit school. Uh, and you grew up in Tower Hamlets. Tower Hamlets, yeah. yeah. Um, I only can really say this is true on reflection, but I think I was at, you know, a crossroads, as they say, and... People were either having babies, people were dying, people were really smart, they went off to become doctors, like the two people that I knew, whatever. And I hadn't made any solid choice. I didn't particularly like anything, apart from maybe sociology. And, uh... And what were you into at that point? What Did, did you listen to music, or were you into comedy and stuff, or anything like no, that? No, I wasn't into comedy. I, I liked music... I, I like music a lot, uh, but I definitely wasn't singing. I wasn't a poet. I was just... So you didn't have one governing no. passion? M- maybe sociology. OK. Uh, but that was that. And uh, um, they actually they showed this... D- the Christian Union in my college screened this DVD called The Truth Behind Hip Hop, which was basically about the fact that all of these, like, artists, these, like, urban American artists are... Agents of Satan, basically. Oh, okay. And it was really scary. Yeah. Really great scare tactics to scare people into going to church. Um, and I watched it and I was scared, but I didn't go to church. And then I met a girl who was in the year above, and we just started hanging out. Uh, by this point, I had dropped out of college anyway, and she started taking me to dance classes. And then uh, I soon found out it was a Christian dance group, uh-huh. but I wasn't Christian. But I like the dance groups, I just pretended to be what a Christian. Was, what was Christian about the dancing? You know what, I think it's the music. They're okay. just dancing to Christian music. Right. And it's, it's obviously not, like, overly sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about, like, 
being reborn in Christ, like all of the dance. And actually, some of these dances are fucking amazing. Yeah. But it, it tells a story of coming out of the darkness into the light, basically. Okay. And uh, so I just pretended to be a Christian for a while. Then I met a girl in uh, at like an Easter Sunday service who came up to me and said, I've got a message from God for you. Yeah. And I said, okay. And she said, God said, you're doing all of the external things, but you haven't got to know God for yourself. And actually, she was right. I'm not Christian anymore, but she was right. Yeah. And then I went back to that church, to her church, and I ended up, you know, the, the pastor says, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please raise your hand. And I shot my hand up in the air, ran to the altar, fell on the floor crying. I think mainly because I was like, there's, there's a God that loves me and wants me to take care of myself. And uh-huh. Why am I not doing that? It was something, to, I don't, it was that kind of feeling. All this time I haven't been loving myself when God loves me and he wants me to love myself, something like that. Yeah. Um, and after that... That, that's how I found God, really, and that brought me straight into writing poetry about God. Uh, Some of those feelings that you had that made you want to go and embrace God, to get to know God, as mm-hmm. it were, and to go there and to literally cry at the altar, was it? Yeah, I mean, right. it was something that everybody remembers from that church yeah. when Michaela got saved. <laughs> I mean, what, what, can you analyse those feelings, and can you analyse what it was in you that, that brought you to that place? There's something open to the atmosphere. It's like when you're in a concert, a music concert, Mm. and you know when the person is amazing and everybody's feeling the same thing? It's that, Uh, but it just happens to be about God and the Holy Spirit. And it's something quite terrifying about that feeling when you're in the, the kind of church that I went to. It's such a strong presence that everybody makes that it's scary. And when you're not... When, when, you know, it's very simple, all you have to do is raise your hand mm-hmm. and then this feeling of fear, it's not that you're going to hell, it's that you're going to be going to heaven, God's going to take you under his wing. It's kind of like maths, it's just like, of course, I want to be on God's side. So you're no longer alone, you're no longer uh, vulnerable in the same way that you were before? Yeah, you have right. a family now, family in Christ, we all believe the same thing, we've got your back. Now, you, you know, you're going to talk to God and he's going to talk to you you're going to have a friend, you're going to have something certain. You don't have to think or uh, question what happens when you die. This is all, it all happens at one time. Right. And you give yourself over to it completely. And how did your family feel about it? You've got... They were really worried. I've got a sister. Yeah. A mum. Your father wasn't around at that point. No. Well, was he around? No, he'd gone to Ghana by now. Right. I've never lived with my dad. Uh-huh. And I have a half-brother. Yeah. Uh, and they were really worried about me. They thought um, you just lost your shit. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I was seeing a guy at the time. We'd not had sex yet, but he also thought, you belong in a straitjacket kind of thing. And now my mum and my sister are very deep in church. The boyfriend that I had is now a pastor. And, and that's kind of your influence, right? <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've more or less converted them. There's a, there's, I've got a couple of people I've converted and they're still there. And that's um, Pentecostal Christianity. Yes. And so that's a big part of that, isn't it, is, is bringing other people into that world. Yeah, because yeah. blo- their blood will be on your hands if you don't. Right. Um, and uh, then I went to drama school and it didn't last... And why didn't it last? Well, first, I think you need to maintain that kind of belief. You have to really spend time with people that also believe the same thing. Got to read the Bible every day. Got to pray every day to kind of activate the belief. But I was rubbing up really close with people who were not Christian. Mm -hmm. And in drama school, you can't just pretend to be connected with people. It's 23 people for three years and you're physically rubbing up, you're rolling over them, you're crying with them. And, pretending to be paper bags together. Do you know, and... exactly, pretending to be lions and, like, yeah. making dens, pretending to <laughs> enter the earth for the first time and touch somebody's skin and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm with people that are having sex before marriage, I'm with people who are Buddhists, gays people, I'm with everyone, and none of the stuff was making sense that I learned, which is that these people need help. And I... I was supposed to tell them about Jesus, but instead they were teaching me stuff. I needed those people. I was making friends. Mm. Friends where I don't need to help you. I just like you. So then I'd go to church and I'd listen to the sermon 
And I didn't believe it anymore. And then I felt like a liar. Mm-hmm. I'm sat there. And I could, you know it feels like there's a spotlight on you. Everyone knows you're a liar. Everyone knows you're a liar. And pretty much that day, I remember the pastor saying, you know, as he preaches, like, uh, stand up, like, you know, rise from your seat or uh, you'll be left behind when he, Jesus comes back. And I couldn't actually get up from my seat. And everybody else was standing. And I remember sitting there going... And I never went back. That was it. And did the pastor talk to you afterwards? or No. no. I did message him to say, I want to talk about stuff. I've got questions. Mm. Uh, we were supposed to meet. And uh, it didn't, didn't happen. Never heard from him again. Hmm. And I was, you know, I was at his house for Christmas and stuff. Yeah. What a shame. And yeah. then were you able, though, to hang on to certain elements of what you had there that were useful for you and comforting for you? Or did you feel as if you had to just turn your back on that whole world? No, there is definitely something about... There's a joy in church. There's a love, a way of loving, you know, with your church people. And I have kept that with me. Mm-hmm. And there's things in the Bible I still totally believe about loving other people, loving yourself. I still pray sometimes. I just have no idea what, who I'm praying to or, or why. That, that would be it, really, though. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't become, like, an evil person now that I don't believe in the Bible anymore. I just don't believe that if you're not a Christian going to this place called hell and all this kind of stuff. And so you mentioned at the time you uh, got into poetry. That's when you started writing poetry. Yeah. Do you still write poetry? No. Do you not? No, simply because... Because you're expressing yourself in a different way with your show and stuff like that, I guess. Yeah, it's a really... It's a, really, it's a muscle. I, I, I was able to write because I kept writing. I think everything is just practice. Belief in God is practice. And uh, I don't practice it anymore. Okay. I'm sure I could start again, but now there's not a lot of time to be dilly-dallying trying to write poetry. Um, well. I saw you on YouTube doing a thing. Oh, no, you did not. Please don't. Come on, there's some good stuff there. Oh, no, don't. No, no. <laughs> it shouldn't be online. What, what are you most embarrassed about on YouTube? Oh! What am I most... Oh. Well, the thing I saw was good. So oh, I... makes me cringe in my heart. Yeah, actually, all my most embarrassing ones... I've asked the people to not let it sh- sh- like be visible. I-, I did a music video on time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which I don't want to. Because you made an album. Fixing, oh, I made two. Fixing Barbie. Fixing Barbie. And what was the other one? That was your first one. Well, yeah, the first I did. Well, I did an EP first called May the Twenty Second. Okay. Which I thought was good at the time, and now that I look back, my friend played me a couple of seconds of it, and I wanted to vomit in my mouth. Fixing Barbie, I am very proud of. I love that album. Uh, I love that album. I actually think it's good. And it's, <laughs> a, and, and it's sort of funny stuff, deconstructing feminism and yeah. uh, attitudes to women. And yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was feminism at the time. Yeah. Didn't have. Didn't even think about what feminism was. Wasn't a word in my vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, it was about self worth and. But the sense of humour is definitely there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the thing I saw on YouTube that I really liked was it's called uh, Michaela Cole, the poet. At the Upshot launch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Next. Well, I think it's called Next. Next. Yeah. Is that the poem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's what, 2009? That is 2009, yeah. And it's really good because you come out... Well, you, can you describe it? I, I'm talking to, like, casting directors. Yeah. And I'm saying if you need whatever you need... I've got it. Because it sounds... At first you come out and you sort of say, oh, I'm, I'm also an actor, uh, I haven't yeah. got much work recently. That's it, yeah. My phone's been cut off, so if there are any casting directors... And so at first it's like a little bit cringy because you're thinking, <laughs> what's she doing? Yeah, this yeah. is a bit desperate. Yeah. But then you go... Then it starts rhyming and then you realise that it's uh, a poem and, and, and yeah. you're talking about what you're willing to do yeah. uh, as an actor to, to, get a, to get a part, not only as an actor, but as a woman of colour. Yeah, uh, yeah, And, and yeah. all the kind of roles that you are expected to, yeah. to do and all the clichéd yeah. parts. Uh, yeah, and that was actually that was before I went to drama school. Yeah. That was like ages ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I did that, actually, I did a play called Blurred Lines at the National. Uh-huh. And uh, I, that, I put that poem into that play. It was improvised. Right. So I still, yeah, it was only two years ago. I was still, uh, That's great. still banging that out. Yeah. I, I loved it. Blurred Lines, not anything to do with the song. Yeah, it was an improvised 
play about feminism and the blurred lines of sexual consent. Right. Yeah. It's a tough play. Yeah. It's all about feminism. I didn't know what feminism was until I did that play. And this was 2014. Okay. February 2014. Uh, but yeah, we spent like four or five weeks working with Carrie Cracknell and Nick Payne, who wrote Constellations. And I understood that I was a woman. I didn't know that before. Uh-huh. I was, as I said to them, I said, I'm a bit busy being black. I didn't. And I was like, oh, fuck. You look back and you're like, shit. It is ever so slightly different being a woman. It's tiny. It is something about being a woman. I didn't realise. Yeah, yeah. And so, what were the big things for you that, that were like an epiphany? Uh, honestly, honestly, it's tough. It was to do with sexual consent. Mm-hmm. So you felt differently about relationships and encounters you'd had. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad I did that play because... You know, there were things to come in my life that I wouldn't have been able to survive had I not done that play. Hmm. Yeah. As in people you met who you would have treated differently? Well, A, that. I mean, look, this industry, I mean, as recently as I remember being at the BAFTA after I won a fucking award. Yeah. And a producer... Congratulations, by the way. Thanks, man. Cheers. Uh, a producer who I wanted to work with, I was very close to working with, but didn't know, we'd just spoken through ages and stuff, decided to say, do you know I want to fuck you right now? No, those actual words. Those exact words. And uh, it's true, because I, I, through my agents, I spoke to them just to say I'm not working with you ever again because of what he said. There's no argument about it. Was he just hammered out of his mind or something? Or? Yeah, I think, he, you know, that, that's the power of alcohol. Right, and he, in his mind, thought that that would be a funny thing to say or a cool thing to say. Or... I've got absolutely no idea. Wow. I've also been at a thing where uh, I've taken a friend of mine and a person who is not black has, in, in jest, said, called him the N-word. And this is a... You, 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 it's a constant reminder that... You know, being black and being a woman yeah. is not in, uh, seamless. Mm. It's not, yeah, yeah. God, that's shocking. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Right, memo to self. Don't use that line at BAFTA's. Don't, yeah, don't use that line at BAFTA. With anyone, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> We're halfway through the podcast. I think it's going really great. The conversation's flowing like it would between a geezer and his mate. All right, mate. Hello, geezer. I'm pleased to see you. Ooh, there's so much chemistry. It's like a science lab of talking. I'm interested in what you said. Thank you. There's fun chat and there's deep chat. It's like Chris Evans is meeting Stephen Hawking. Uh, I saw you talking about um, music the other day and um, you mentioned that you... Uh, well, you're, you're, Tracy in Chewing Gum is a big Beyonce freak. Yes. But um, you're more of a Rihanna person. Uh, yeah, is yeah, that right? yeah. Don't tell Beyonce, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still hoping I might meet her one day. I'm going to be Beyonce's friend one day. <laughs> sure. No. Yeah, you know why? Because I find Rihanna a lot less media-trained. Mm-hmm. Less slick. She's less slick. She's Beyonce's more... almost like the first lady. She's so composed. Yeah, but I would even say the first lady, the current first lady, is a bit more tra- transparent than yeah. Beyonce yeah. herself. Yeah. Um, she's very regal. Very, very. I, I wouldn't even say regal. I love Beyonce. I'm a big. I'm a big. I'm a Beyonce fan. Yeah. I bow to Beyonce, but she she is regal. But it's. A, she does not reveal much at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because I simply want to know her, she doesn't allow me. But Rihanna does. I can, you know, as I said, I can imagine Rihanna on the toilet taking a shit. Yeah. I don't see poo coming out of Beyonce's ass. <laughs> I can't see... I can't see an asshole. Don't think she has one. No, it's just um, a sort of gas that... Uh... And it smells great. Yeah, exactly. It smells amazing. Yeah, she just emits a smell of roses. It smells of hit. Yeah, <laughs> smells of hit. It's success. Pure <laughs> <laughs> hit. And how do you feel then about Rihanna's um, when she gets all kind of like the video for "Needed Me"? Yeah, 
I haven't seen it. Have you not? No, no. Well, it's directed by Harmony Corinne. Do you know his stuff? He no. did He did a, th- a film called Spring Breakers and Gummo and Kids back in the day. And he, he's... He makes a lot of films that are quite edgy and often have controversial subject matter, and sometimes it feels a little bit like he's just pushing buttons for the sake of it, sometimes. He's good. I mean, his films are always interesting. But um, the video for Needed Me is... It's all slow motion, and she's wandering around in a cool, big apartment with big windows looking out over the city, and it's uh, beautiful. And she's got, like, a kind of... uh, negligee on and you can basically see her boobs underneath mm-hmm. quite clearly and she has a big gun and it's all just fetishy in a really lame way with with guns yeah. and boobs and she goes into a nightclub and basically ends up shooting this bad looking man who's got lots of tattoos and is smacking the bottom of a, uh, a lap dancing lady and she's all tattooed up and everyone's chucking money at these women pole dancers and stuff. And it's a scene of total mm. debauchery, you know. Mm. And then Rihanna kind of cuts a swathe through all of this. <laughs> to kill a man. Takes the guy out and then cruises off on a motorbike with a helmet that looks like a skull. So I was thinking, hmm, I don't know what to think about this. I can see that it's, uh, it's like a cartoonish empowerment fable. Yeah, I mean... Mm. How does that sort of thing um, uh, I don't watch this? music videos. Right, OK. I don't watch music videos, man. Uh, and also, when I talk about Rihanna and Beyonce, I don't mean their videos. I don't even mean their work. Yeah. I just mean who I see when you're not doing either of Yeah, I mean, two. I'm not asking you to, like, sort of... No, but I think that, that video... No, just, but, yeah. but I stay away from watching videos kind of because of stuff like that. Right, right. Um, I find already, even with just with advertising, I sometimes have to close my eyes because I'm... If I keep my eyes open watching that stuff, I'm going to feel like I'm worth nothing and that I am not a good enough version of myself and that actually I need to be another person. That's what all that shit does. Shit does. Dove commercials. Just it, They make me just feel like I've got to be someone else. Even when there's, ooh, we've got like a size 12 person here, I still feel like I've got to be a different person. There's always something about that person. So I don't watch videos and... Uh, that video does sound it sounds like it's a woman uh it, it, in enjoying a man's kind of power yeah of the hip hop kind of guy whatever uh but i have zero interest in that lifestyle anyway yeah i oh, fuck that shit i hate it i tried to be a rock star last summer i'm never going to do that again what was your rock star uh going out partying boys after the party hotel and keep the party going and then like the sun's gonna come up we're gonna all feel really depressed and really shit and really like we don't know who each other is but we're just gonna keep going and go to another party and we don't care about each other oh. how long how long was that phase that was from july till February. And that's off the back of chewing gum coming out and doing well. And... Also, like, breaking I had a breakup. Right, OK. And, uh, yeah, basically, I had a breakup where I was like, oh, it's time to celebrate. OK. And then, like, I finished my show and I was like, oh, it's time to celebrate. Plus you're 27, so that's a big year. Yeah, and I've spent five years of my whole life in church, you know, doing nothing bad, nothing, nothing. So I kind of went headfirst into hedonism mm. and then it quickly came out. And was like, you know what, it's cool. That's impressive. You just dealt with it all in, like, a few months. Yes. You know, some shit went down, basically. And it was either that I was going to do that thing that I see many actors do, which is just have a life full of alcohol and drugs and, like, do really good work but live an unhappy life, or I was going to live a happy life Mm -hmm. and just, you know... Because as, as fun as that is, it's got lows. And I decided, actually, I think a balanced life is a bit better. God, that's interesting. I mean, that's admirable that you were able just to... Nip it in the bud. Yeah. I'm an extreme person. In about ten years' time, you've seen me on crack cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think ultimately it never was me. I'd never really drunk, even before I went to church, when I could have, didn't really do it. I wasn't that person, and I was trying to be someone else. It's not me. Yeah, so you don't want to get out of yourself in that way. You don't want to get away from yourself. 
No. You like yourself, right? I think that is what it is. I like myself. I like being alone a lot. I love my own company. I, I sometimes say I wish I could go out with myself. I'm mm. a narcissist. <laughs> Like myself. Yeah, do you think you are a narcissist? Uh, my therapist has told me I am. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I'm half narcissist, half deeply insecure. Sure. I don't deserve to be here. I am nothing. Have you had a lot of those insecure feelings since you've kind of broken through? Massively, yeah. Yeah, massively. I think, uh, you know, I feel like I am not f- from a familiar background, you know, even just, like, a comedy background. I don't... I'm not a comedy writer. I just wrote a comedy, wrote a comedy. But I still feel like I should have, like, known a lot more shit before I just turned up and started doing this. Uh, I wasn't from an acting background. don't know any other actors in my family. And there's a kind of quiet voice just saying, you shouldn't really be here. You know, you're a guest, you're a guest. You know, you, just, you don't own this place. But I feel like it, it's part of what fuels me constantly trying to prove the voice wrong. Especially in comedy, a lot of people in comedy are real comedy nerds. You know, I would include myself in that uh, world. People who grew up watching a lot of comedy and then talk about it all the time, and stand-ups especially, that's all they ever talk yeah. about. Other comedians and yeah. tricks they've picked up and yeah. all that sort of thing, their favourite lines. So you were never really like that. No, and I don't even know. You just taught me what it is to be a comedy nerd. I've got no idea. Right. I, it's not that I saw it and was like, I don't want to be like that. I just didn't know it existed. I just didn't know. Never been to Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Never didn't know. I was literally asked to write a comedy. <laughs> I did it. Yeah. I didn't go looking for it. Didn't go looking for it. So you never really watched a lot of comedy when you were growing up and mm, things like that? I did watch things like Keen and Kel and Moesha. Uh-huh. Uh, but it wasn't because it was funny. It's because they were black. Yeah. It's because, oh, God, it's like... You know, in America, they put black people on TV. So we just watch it. Right. Uh, and then movies, though? Did you go out to the movies a lot? No. Yeah. So uh, you've got more or less a kind of unadulterated worldview. Because I was in school, I read books. I really liked John Keats. He doesn't appear to have any direct reflection in my work. But I know that that is something I would read and enjoy. And I liked music, and I really liked sociology. Though it's not that I saw I was presented with other things and rejected them. They didn't come under my radar. And what was it about sociology then that was um, firing yeah, your imagination? Yeah, I was really... Sociology was like, whoa! What, like, what did that get you into? You, uh, I think looking at the world and looking at patterns when you... Why are working-class people more likely to fail their GCSEs? Um, There's a thing called the underclass. What the fuck is that? You know, um, these things, I think, because it takes you outside of yourself and then you're looking around. And you start to see how the world fits together. Yeah, and that it... There there is patterns. And that kind of blew my mind. Mm. It still does blow my mind. It still does, Yeah. So did you get into any authors then who were writing about that sort of stuff? And I was a big Karl Marx fan. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Uh, I listened to his podcast, actually. He's got, he's got podcasts. Yeah, like, I've been listening to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you listen to the one about satire that he did? No, no. That's quite interesting. OK, I'll have a listen, I'll have a listen. Talking about Harry Enfield's character, Loads of Money. I don't know if you remember Loads of Money from back in the day. No. Well, it was sort of Thatcher's Britain, and um, it was all about people going out and everything getting um, privatised and the emphasis being on making a lot of money and Harry Enfield felt that that was kind of a drag and he had this character who was like a sort of painter-decorator who uh, just went out and he had a big wad of cash and he was just like, i got loads of money! <laughs> and he would wave it around, look at my wad! Bosh! Loads of money! And it was a big um, catchphrase, you know. Ah, I'm going to write that down, but this, this, this uh, podcast. Not this only... One. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's interesting. But the podcast, the Gladwell podcast, is mm. about the fact that the character was taken up not only by the lefties who saw that it was a satire against that whole way of thinking and that growing um, group of people who 
were ravenously ambitious and, and wanted to make a lot of money and rub it in your face almost if you didn't have money. But it was also taken up by those people themselves who... Yeah. Who uh, who like yeah I'm like that loads of money. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So oh, it, it was weird, you know. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, I think Harry Enfield was saying in the um, podcast that he felt it did no good whatsoever and yeah. was made, maybe even counterproductive. Yeah, almost like a when when you're trying to make a political statement for your comedy and it, it doesn't quite. Yeah. Work for the... Well, I mean, Gladwell's thesis was that satire just doesn't work, which I thought was... I don't believe that. No, it's it seemed a bit sweeping. I mean, he often is like that, though, Gladwell. He sort of has a... He, he has a way that he sees the world mm. and then he sells you that vision. Yeah. And, and it's not always 100%. It doesn't 100% work. Yeah. But he's very persuasive um, when he breaks everything down. Yeah. I mean, I think... This is another quote from the Bible. Uh, Those who have ears, let them hear. I don't think it's that satire doesn't work. I think some people don't respond to it. Hmm. Uh, It's not that it doesn't work. And, you know, some people are kind of another quote from the Bible. uh, The spirit of stupor over them. They can't see your point. And uh, there's nothing you can do Hmm. about that. Yeah. Loads of people don't see... The point of chewing gum. Some people think it's, it's really damaging for black women because they don't see my point. What okay. do they say specifically then? I it's, mean, it's bad a... to have a black woman that wants to have sex. Oh, okay. And uh, the more I hear that, the more I just want to write even more sexual desperation <laughs> into a character because it's the human body, it's biology, we want to have sex. So I, I know that it's linked with this kind of idea of sexual suppression that's really strong in, in the black community. It's shameful, shameful. And uh, they're in, some of them, some people are embarrassed, you know, like, you know, you put a black woman up there and all she does is want to have sex. You know, I didn't have sex till I was 24. And it's like, well, Tracy finished the series and she's still a virgin. They can't, they just don't, they don't, they don't want to see. And, you know, I'm not a teacher. I'm just writing shit, you know, and I, if people get it, then they get it. If they don't, I'm not going to lose sleep. Mm. Because the language is very coarse in the, <laughs> in the show. And you're not afraid to talk about anything. I mean, that's one of the yeah. engaging things about it, from my point of view, is that you are talking in, in kind of a um, uh, shocking way sometimes about everything. Is that how you've always thought about things, or was that something that came fairly late? Presumably you weren't thinking about things and talking about things in that way when you were more religious. You know what? I kind of was. Were you? Yeah, to my mates. But it wasn't about... It was just about what things I wanted to do. Mm. I know loads of Christian girls that are like, I can't wait to suck a dick. I can't wait to suck it. I know many girls that say shit like that. Uh, it's Are just they not worried they're going to go to hell? No, because they can't wait till they're married and sucking a dick. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, because like... Till they've got a dick sucking past. This is what I'm saying. Right. Like, because when you're married, you do whatever you want. It's and you look time. forward to that, you know. Sure. And you, yeah, some girls, not all girls <laughs> are like that. I, but I, yeah. if I was asked to write a show that would air on Saturday night at 7.30, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right. I don't know it how to do the kind of normal thing. The you reckon? I bet you'd be good. And I bet you you'd find that it's quite an interesting discipline if you had to write something totally clean. Because fundamentally, mm. you can do all that stuff and you are funny, you've got funny bones. And uh, clearly you're a good writer. So I, I reckon you'd be good and you'd probably find some different stuff there. Would I enjoy it, though? I bet you would. Oh, I don't It's know. fun to work with limitations sometimes. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm just used to being inappropriate. I have a very inappropriate mind. I've done very inappropriate things. And uh, I started to realise that not everybody does these inappropriate things. So I like to write them down now. Yeah. I thought that this is what everyone did. Because I was in church for so long and I came out and I was like, oh, we go to sex clubs, that's what we do. <laughs> and then, um, honestly, I thought that was normal. Sex clubs? Yeah. What's a sex club in your mind? Um, well, the one I went to, I probably, don't know if I can say the name of it, probably can. Sure. Uh, it's, it's called Killing Kittens. Killing Kittens? Yeah, KK Club. Wow. Yeah. That's a real club? Oh, yeah, yeah. In London? 
they move around. They, oh, like, I see. Sometimes so it's like in a penthouse. Yeah. Right. Uh, but you have to like become a member, and uh, you go there. The a guy I was seeing at the time was. I thought that was normal because he was like my first boyfriend and uh-huh. he was older. Right. And uh, I thought it's normal. That's what you know you go yeah. to. And with Kayla, I thought um, we're, we're going to go to a sex club tonight. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, you know, this is killing what, kittens. Yeah, you know, it's this called. Is what you do. And did you think? I don't know if I'm ready to start killing kittens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I had resistance. <laughs> I had resistance. So what was your line? I'm vegan. You know, didn't want to go. No, um, <laughs> I am. Um, you know, sometimes when you're in love, you sure, yeah, do. you think, okay, I like you, and let's see. Yeah. Also, you know, I, did, did he explain what it was going to be like before you went? Yeah, but I don't think anything can quite prepare you for a sex club. Uh, and also, you know, it was part of like, because I, I had like a really low sex drive at that time, and uh-huh. I was trying to like make me a kinky <laughs> bitch. You know, <laughs> like we're going to bring that kinky bitch out of you. And so, um, <laughs> uh, we we went like three times to yeah. this sex club. So tell me about it. What was it like? So you go that everyone's wearing masks. Oh, it's like uh, eyes wide shut type thing. Don't, I don't know what that is. That's Stanley Kubrick's last film with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And okay, they, and they go to a similar sort of thing. Ah, yes, yeah. very fancy. It's like over a hundred pounds to get in, and uh, I actually uh, have an episode a little bit about this in my second series. Uh-huh. Men can't go alone; you have to go with a partner. Women can go alone. Uh, the first one I went to was no, that wasn't the, the pool party. The first one I went to was like there was a cabaret <laughs> performance of you know women you know doing fancy things you know with not a lot of clothes on. I love fancy and, uh, things. Yes, yeah, and the host. And I remember seeing like maybe three people start making out quite early like we were still in the middle of a performance it was literally like people just started having sex in the middle of a play at the National Theatre and that was actually seen as quite inappropriate they started too early and I remember the host going like guys 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 yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then the party began and I am not that person I do not want a whip in my hand I don't have that. Oh yeah, let's let's have some sex at the sex club. <laughs> so and I, you know, the guy I was seeing was very much wanting to have some sex at the sex club, and um, <laughs> I didn't have sex with anyone apart from him. Yeah. Uh, but I did watch him have sex with like quite a lot of people. Oh really? Yeah. And you did you know that that was going to be the deal? I don't remember. I'm not sure whether it, it came in the moment, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, no, no, go, baby, go, 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 yeah, go, yeah. go, go, go. Oh, you're Go, having... fly, go, fly, go, fly. No, no, no. You're you know. having some sex over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Huh. And yeah. what, how did you feel? Were you turned on or shocked? No, or... not at all. No. Not turned on, not angry, not upset, not jealous. I remember a song came on and I went, this is a fucking tune. <laughs> in, well, while I watched him having sex. Yeah. I'm thinking, the music in here. Was it Cake by the Ocean? It's quite good. Was it what? <laughs> Cake by the Ocean. I don't know. That do you not know that one? No. Crazy, crazy. Oh, I do know that song. Um, Kick by the ocean. Nip, I think I had no idea that's what he was, that, that's what they were saying. Right. Is this a shouty song, right? They're just kind of. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. My um, da- yeah, my daughter likes that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's not appropriate to juxtapose thoughts of my daughter. Oh, with yeah, this. not quite, not no, quite. Um, Let's go back. So, this is fascinating. I've never met anyone who's been to a sex club yeah, before. Yeah. And then. What, what's everyone else? And, and while your boyfriend... Like, tell me if I'm being inappropriate with any of my sure. questions. While your boyfriend is having sexual relations then with some random person he's never met before, right? Yes. Is he sort of looking at you and kind of going, look at me, I'm, <laughs> I'm a sexy man. I, I don't think I got looks, you know. I yeah. think he was, he's just getting on with it. Yeah, he's just getting on with it. And I remember she was, like, having a really great time. You're like, ah, ah, yeah, ah, yeah, ah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I just don't think, oh, she's really enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it I had no effect on me whatsoever. Right. So uh, you yeah. didn't go, you didn't even have a snob, or did you? Uh, I did, like, the second or third time with a girl. Right. Which was a first for me. Yeah. Because, actually, I don't have an attraction to women. Uh-huh. I didn't at the time, anyway. Maybe a little bit now. <laughs> um, but she, her, like... Husband was like, oh, look, you know, my lady really likes you. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. My wife yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> likes you. Yeah, but she's shy. He was like, but she's shy. And I was like, no. Oh. <laughs> shy <laughs> wife at sex club. <laughs> and then I was like, look, looked at the guy I was seeing at the time. He was like, go on. <laughs> go on. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> and she was like, hi, you're, you're so pretty. And I was like, oh. Thanks, so are you. I had no particular real feelings about what she looked like at all. Yeah. Um, and then I, I... I'm so stupid. I was like, oh, I've, I've not done this before. Uh, and I, I fingered her. Oh, mate. But the thing is, right, I don't even, like, think of myself. So I've got no fucking idea how to finger a vagina. So I kept going, I'm so sorry. I, I don't do this. And was sort of like trying to like do some like clip motion. Oh God! <laughs> and she was kind of looking at me like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it stopped quite briefly. I remember saying, I, "I don't want to do this." And then her her husband wanted to have sex with me, which I had no attraction to her husband at all. But it kind of just seemed like, oh, this is what people do—they have some sex. And uh, I went up to my boyfriend. I was like, "He wants to have sex with me," and uh, and he was like, "Do you want to have sex with me?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "Okay, you don't have to." I was like, "Okay," and that was that. Mainly, the music was good. Okay. Yeah. So where was all this happening? Are you off in a corner somewhere on a bonquette? Well, no, or, it, it's, it's all up. It's like, yeah, we're just going to turn this whole, like, place into the sofas, you know, uh, what do you have to pronounce? Chaiselon? Yeah. Those there. Th- th- this one was a pool party, so there was, like, a jacuzzi there. There was a sauna, a steam room, a swimming pool, and then you've got the bar, um... And people are just walking around naked, just mm. walking around. Some people are sitting down. Some people are having sex, and like they want you to see them having sex. It's really weird. I find it really, really weird. And is everyone pretty good looking, or are there some pretty out of shape people? The there women as well? are. You get. You have to get in. Yeah. So they pick you. Okay. In Kenish Town, there's like a sex sauna, but it's full of like quite. Ah, you know, like ah, like because you just pay like ten quid and you go in there and you just. just but gnarly. this one is yeah. like you know, like we're clean and yeah, we go to the gym. We go to the gym. Yeah, right. we we make a lot of money, you okay. know. Yeah. And here it's me with the women that I brought here. We're just blowing off some sexy steam. Yeah, we're just unleashing our sexual appetite, you know, because we are kinky. Raunchy hedonists. Yeah. This is where we just do hedonism. We're masters of the universe. Yeah, and it's dark, sexual darkness. And if they so got, gross. like, on a practical level, how do they deal with the hygiene? Uh, is there. Is... I know there's condoms, like, everywhere. Right. I mean, but that's all. I think that pool must be fucking disgusting because obviously want... you don't have to use a condom. Right. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of spunk in the fucking jacuzzi. I think it's probably fucking gross. The filters must get clogged. Yeah, super clogged. On a regular basis. With just everything. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to put your head underwater there. No, no. But, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. I'm not really the, the biggest hygiene person. Uh-huh. I seem to just not give a fuck. So, uh, yeah. Wow, that is great. Yeah, that's and um, so you wouldn't go back to one of those places, or did you think, oh... The only way I might go back... Actually, no, I wouldn't go back. There's a version of events where I'd go with a bunch of girls for a laugh. Uh-huh. Um, but I wouldn't do sexual things. I love sexual encounters, but the sex club is just not my thing. So you didn't come away from the whole thing feeling like a little bit... Not, not traumatised, but just sort of a bit melancholy? No. It, literally, I was kind of like... I went to the zoo. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. It's good to observe... You know, it was like, ooh, that was... Because were you someone who was then able to, in your teenage years, have one-night stands or no, just No, I have didn't a... have any. So you didn't do any of that? Not in my teenage years. Right. In my later years, yeah. And you found relationships sort of manageable or, or were you would you get upset very easily or...? Well, with one-night stands? Yeah, or any kind well, of Well, the thing is with, basically, I, I always... If I want to have sex... I am going to go and get you to have sex with me. It's not... I'm never convinced into having sex. It's not that a guy sees me and I wasn't expecting... I have to... I've orchestrated the thing myself. Mm -hmm. So I have great feelings. I've got no kind of like... Because it's what I wanted. It's what I went and got. And it's done. Right. Nothing wrong with that. I don't have any issues. I am not down 
for like being like, oh no, I don't really want to. Like I've been like, oh come on, then let's mm. go. And oh, but I'm not sure. Cheers, man. Yeah. And then after you're gonna feel shit after that. Yeah, Fuck yeah. that. But if I want to have sex, you know, I, I've not, you know, I don't have any problem with going. Yeah, you. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go and kill some kittens. Yeah, it doesn't work so much anymore now because of the whole TV thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, I'm on TV. Do you want to have some sex? It doesn't work like that. And now I live a much more quiet uh, life yeah. devoid of sex. Surely it works even better. No, never want to do that. I've got no desire. No, because that's not a good basis, is it? That's so gross. Yeah. <laughs> I could never... If you have seen my TV show or you know me, it's over. Can't happen. Um... Well, listen, let's wrap things up. Yeah? Are you sure? I don't want to, because I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, well, it is really nice to talk to you. Uh, um, you know, it's been really good meeting you. And, yes, you uh, too. Uh, um, yeah, it was, it was really fun, and I, I, I love your stuff. I think it's great, and uh, I can't wait to see where you go and what you do next. Thank you. I was very nervous about this one. Oh, really? Yeah. What did you think was going to happen? Well, it's just like, you know, you're quite a big deal. So I was a bit like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I am a big deal. You are a little bit. Come on, how? Just a little bit. Everyone knows who I mean, you are. this is good. I'm milking this because I like being told I'm a big deal. But no, Basically, think... my mum likes you. That's it. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I've, I've, yeah. You know, you get scared. I always get scared when it's like a big... But now I realise you're just a worthless piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Michaela Cole, she's the real deal. Very much enjoyed meeting her. And uh, do check out Chewing Gum, obviously, if you haven't already seen it. It's um, a blast of fresh air, which I love. And I'm out here in the fresh air, walking still with Rosie. Although I don't know where Rosie's gone. Rosie! Rosie! Nah, she's in the undergrowth having a great great undergrowth time anyway so thanks so much to Michaela for her time really good to meet her the last edition of the podcast featured my conversation with Louis Theroux in which we talked about boozing and uh, infantilism and then uh, ended up with Louis singing in falsetto to Baccarat thanks for your messages on the subject but there were a couple of bits of feedback that I wanted to share with you. Actually, three bits. Well, qu- several... Qu- I mean, I get these all the time. People getting in touch and saying, what's the my wife thing? Where does that come from? Uh, and someone the other day said, uh, oh, yes, what's that a reference to? Hope it's not an in-joke. If so, yawn. Is it an in-joke? Not really. It's an in-joke with me and Joe and the podcasts because... It was from the uh, Christmas special that me and Joe Cornish did uh, last year. Episode number 12, I believe it is. And it's right at the end of that episode. So uh, about 10 or 15 minutes before the end, that's where you'll find my wife being born. And so you'll hear, you'll be able to hear where that came from and uh, make your own assessment as to the value or lack thereof. Coffee versus tea. Oh, yeah, we were talking about the fact Louis was saying that coffee has more caffeine than tea. 
Peter Canning was one of the many people that got in touch to say, guys, coffee has more caffeine than tea. Caffeine higher in tea leaves than coffee beans, but less in final drink. Uh, so, in other words, there's more... People tend to put more actual coffee in a coffee than tea leaves in a tea. This is interesting stuff, isn't it? And the final thing was, um, well, on the serious subject of drinking and drinking guidelines and um, abusing or not abusing alcohol, Paul Newell left a message on my blog, which was broadly positive, but he did say about Louis, for someone who's made a documentary on alcoholism... I was rather surprised that Louis didn't know that the UK alcohol guidelines are given in units, not points, or what these guidelines are, or how many units are in a pint of beer. I mean, I will say in Louis' defence that, first of all, the documentary was not about alcoholism per se. It was about a group of people struggling with the effects of excessive drinking. And he also made it clear in our convo that it was not meant to be an information film. In that way, it was about these people's lives. He has not set himself up as an authority on sensible drinking, and nor has he ever pretended to, I don't think. So we were having an informal conversation where we started talking about the whole concept of points and just carried on. Uh, Of course, units is the correct terminology when you're talking about alcohol. But um, this message from Paul Newell continues... I was also quite concerned that Louis felt 21 units was not enough to get, quote, lashed in an evening. That's about 8 to 10 pints of beer, and that 14 units was unrealistic, and that even 21 units was too low. I mean, we were, we did, you know, it wasn't, it was like a jokey conversation. I think I took him up on the whole getting lashed thing anyway, on 10 pints. I think we agreed that no one drinks 10 pints. On this last point, continues Paul, the government came up with the guidelines based on the best available evidence at the time as to what is the safe limit. So in this sense, we need to consider them as fact, something that can't be adjusted because people will find it difficult. It would be like trying to decide what sign to put over a 12-foot bridge and reasoning, well, it's unrealistic for all vehicles to be under 12 feet tall, so we'll say it's 14 feet People's heads will come off, says Paul. Now, I take issue with quite a few things in that last paragraph, Paul. The idea that the government's guidelines, based on the best available evidence at the time, are to be taken as gospel. I appreciate that um, it would be wise to pay close attention to those guidelines. They are, as you point out, based on the opinions of people who know more about these things than I certainly do. On the other hand, we also know that science in that area is inexact. And whereas I agree if a bridge has clearance of 12 feet, then vehicles taller than that will almost certainly suffer some degree of damage, I don't think the same thing can be said of alcohol guidelines. I think some people will suffer adverse effects and some people may go through their whole lives drinking slightly over that suggested limit with no obvious ill effects. That's just a fact. Can everybody expect to do that? No, clearly they can't. So the sensible thing, of course, would be to stick to the guidelines. With alcohol, as with so many things, moderation tends to be a useful way forward. But also, it was not a chat designed to get people to overturn the government's guidelines on drinking um, at all. But thanks for your message, Paul. And on that sober note, it's time for me to say goodbye. Thank you very much indeed for downloading the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much indeed to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for production support. And until next time we share the same aural space, please do be very careful out there. Take care of yourselves and others even if superficially some of them appear to be dicks.